This podcast features discussions about finances and money, which are general in nature. For personal advice specific to your circumstances, see a licensed financial planner or relevant qualified professional. Hi, folks. Welcome along to another episode of the Money Mechanics podcast, where we are unpacking the money stuff. Today on Looking Under the Hood, I'm joined by Dr. Kate Mannell, who's at the Deakin University uh, in sunny Melbourne. Today, we're going to be talking about something interesting. I think when markets, uh, from a financial perspective, go a bit wild, we start to probably inhale a bit more news or a bit more information than we, we normally would. But we've also had a few massive events, I guess, historically uh, with COVID and pandemics and, and war and other things. Kate's a digital researcher. I don't know if that's a, the right way to introduce you, Kate, but um, really looking forward to our conversation today. Welcome along. How are you? Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm enjoying, enjoying the sunshine. It is fabulous. Kate, your background is in researching media studies and so talking about design, governance and and use of of digital technology and, I guess, platforms. Before we go there, I've been asking all my guests uh, for an early happy uh, money memory. So I'll ask you that first before I, uh, I start to get into all the other juicy bits. It has to be the tooth fairy, doesn't it? has to be the tooth fairy. I reckon getting, getting oh. 20 cents under my pillow for a tooth. I, I imagine that the rate has probably gone up <laughs> since, since then. But yeah, I think getting 20 cents for a tooth and the excitement and then trying to figure out how many lollies I could buy um, with whatever money I'd been given. I think that's my, my earliest money memory. I love it. Yeah. And, and the rate has gone up. We have talked about the tooth fairy, I think a few times on the, the podcast before. And I, I'm remembering my niece was excited to show me that one of her teeth fell out. And I think she even got something that was a paper or not, not so paper note here in Australia, but a, a plastic note. And I was going, what? Oh, not even a coin. No. I'm like, that is inflation <laughs> for you. Inflation in action. It really is. <laughs> yeah. So research in the digital space i mean obviously where it's all around us technology is is where we we exist these days and even with i guess news flow and information fascinating time so how did you get into i guess doing what you're doing at the moment i guess i've always been quite interested in the role that technology plays in everyday life and that has been the kind of through line i suppose of the of the research that i've done i've looked at it in different kinds of contexts but the kind of core thing that I'm really interested in is how, you know, how we grapple with it in a kind of day-to-day um, way, particularly as technologies become really embedded in our everyday life, the ones that we live with all of the time. Often there's a lot of attention on on the kind of next thing that's coming and the new thing, but I've always been quite interested in the more boring bits really and how we kind of grapple with and live with technology once it's become um, ubiquitous. And so I did... Yeah, I did a, a PhD, which was looking at uh, young adults and their use of mobile messaging apps and the roles that those apps played in their kind of friendships and how they navigated um, trying to be unavailable when they wanted to be unavailable in a very always-on kind of context. And I'm now working um, in a, a research centre that looks at children and digital technologies. So, you know, increasingly digital technologies are, are a part of even quite young children's everyday experiences. And so that's the work that I'm yeah, moving into now. 
Yeah, wow. It's just such a fascinating area. I I was reading recently a book Johan Hari wrote about stolen focus, and I hadn't actually realized that how commoditized our attention is these days. And that just totally blew my mind around that it is actually now this commodity that, I know, content providers, social media companies are all vying for that that attention and basically getting us sucked into um, staying online at the end of the day. And I guess I was fascinated by the research that yourself and James Mees did. I hopefully I'm uh, enunciating James's name correctly there as right as well, but around doom scrolling. And I think we've probably all been there. And I, I talk to clients on a daily basis, especially if, if markets get a little bit scary with regards to uh, volatility or, or downward uh, trends. And had one client ring me one day and she's like, oh, I'm just feeling really anxious about everything at the moment. I said, oh, well, talk me through your behaviours. What are, what are you doing of, a, of an evening or of a day? She's like, oh, well, I haven't been sleeping well, but before I go to bed, I'll turn on BBC World. And again, no no disrespect to BBC World, but it's probably not the nicest thing to be lulling yourself into, into sleep with um, at the end of the day. So yeah, how did, I guess, the, the doom scrolling research come about and, and what did you actually focus on? Yeah, so this was a project that came up in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic specifically, and, and both myself and James were here in Victoria, um, where we obviously had very extended lockdowns. And one of the things that we became interested in was the role of how people were managing their news consumption, basically, and particularly whether people were taking steps to kind of reduce or, or limit or manage their news consumption, because this was a piece of advice that we were starting to see come through um, from public health um, bodies and, and governments. I think the World Health Organization had advice out around it, really suggesting that people try to be careful around their around their news consumption. But it's quite a tricky thing because you also need to stay informed. You know, you're in a, a this really unprecedented event, and so we we wanted to know in the context of Victoria, where we had had these really intense lockdowns, had people taken steps to limit their news consumption for the sake of their own well-being, their kind of mental and emotional well-being. And so we did um, a survey and then we did some follow-up interviews with some of the people that we had surveyed. And this was we were doing this work right at the end of 2020, so people were kind of reflecting on, you know, that very intense year that had, that had been. And I think what we found, I would characterise it as broadly quite positive. What we found was that people told us that they had initially increased their news consumption a lot. They'd maybe gotten into what we might call a kind of doom scrolling um, process or, you know, had kind of fallen into that into that rabbit hole and they'd really increased their news consumption. And that maps onto international research, which showed a real spike in news consumption in the early months of 2020. But people told us that they then came to a kind of realisation that it was becoming unhealthy or unhelpful or it was having some negative impacts, and maybe we can talk about what some of those were. And so people um, told us that they then decided to put in place in place these um, kind of avoidance practices or these strategies for trying to limit and and manage their news consumption in a way that, on the one hand, meant that they could stay informed, but on the other hand, meant that they were looking after themselves a bit and and limiting it enough and in ways that they felt was really beneficial for their for their well-being so i think overall 
it's quite a kind of positive finding that people can find ways to manage their manage their news consumption even in what was you know a really difficult and, and kind of overwhelming context mm, yeah definitely and I, I think I, I bounce between Canberra and Melbourne and I guess everybody I talk to in Melbourne still you you yeah just can still have people going back to that that lived trauma I guess of, of going through lockdowns and um, I think everybody else went through a series of lockdowns but I think people in Victoria just had it at very differently especially those people in Melbourne so yeah that that is um uh yeah great to hear I guess that there's some positive that, that came out of that what what were some of the things you, you just touched on before that were sort of the the bad behaviors or the bad sort of mental health outcomes that you found sort of came out of the uh, doom scrolling process yeah so people talk to us about having a really strong emotional negative emotional response to the news, which of course is not on the one hand, not surprising, but they talked about it being quite becoming quite intense because they were engaging with so much news and it was so bad all of the time. And so they talked to us about things like having very strong feelings of anxiety, very strong feelings of kind of overwhelm, or even in some contexts, um, people talked to us about feeling kind of despairing. There was this kind of sense that it would never end and they just felt this real kind of hopelessness. Some people talked about feeling stressed. Some people talked about um, feeling angry, actually, uh, particularly around different responses to the to the pandemic and, and seeing a lot of reporting about that or even sometimes feeling quite angry about the nature of the reporting itself. And then that had a bunch of flow-on effects. So people talked about being quite distracted, finding it very hard to, to focus on their work, to focus on their study. Some people spoke about finding it hard to focus on or be engaged with the people around them in their household as well. For some people, um, you know, these feelings were became a problem, but they weren't kind of clinical, whereas for other people they talked about having existing um, mental health conditions that were exacerbated and that they went and spoke to um, health professionals about. Some people talked about it manifesting in kind of physical ways. There was one woman who spoke about having vertigo. A few people talked about problems sleeping, as you as you kind of referenced um, before. So, yeah, I guess a kind of mix of very strong, um, you know, emotional and mental health impacts that people were talking to us about. And I'll just note that this is also backed up by other kinds of research as well. So there's been quite a lot of research around... Um, particularly contexts where the news is very bad. So situations like uh, there was a study done around 9-11, there was another study done around um, the Boston Marathon bombings, and there's a few other studies done during COVID similar to ours too. And those studies typically find that people who are engaging with a lot of news are also displaying more symptoms of things like stress and, and anxiety. Now that everything is kind of, you know, somewhat back to normal, it's, it's kind of, you forget how, how intense it was. But yeah, those, those descriptions that people gave us were really quite compelling examples of, of it having pretty profound impacts. Mm. I think, again, news, and this is, again, total world according to Scott here, but you just you get this sense that every time, like the share market, and I'm talking the, the context of money, but if the share market goes up on a day, you don't necessarily see the, the headlines rolling in and going, oh, we've added all this money to the share market, where if, if it goes down on a day, it is then all the intensity of, oh, this is how much money we've lost, and it, it's a large number, it's $50 billion or more that might be wiped off the share market. And so that stuff seemed to happen a bit with 
I think COVID and other other events that happen is that we get onto those cycles that the news cycle loves to then just feed us the information. And as you said before, it's great to be informed, but it's almost uh, an overemphasis of then just getting caught up in, in that event when it happens. And so I guess in reflecting on that, so did you come up with any tool or not tools, but any habits, behaviors, things that people can do if they find themselves getting caught in the doom scrolling or, or getting you know, stuck in, in habits that they probably aren't uh, reinforcing their good mental health practices. Yeah, so the people who we spoke to had, a lot of them had really um, excellent and sometimes quite creative strategies. And this was in the context of COVID, but I think it would apply to a more everyday context as well, including, you know, the examples that you've talked about around if there's really, you know, bad kind of um, economic news that's getting a lot of um you know, uh, play in the news as well. So there were kind of four big things that people that people talked about. One was um, having specific times for checking the news, which sounds kind of obvious. If you want to check the news list and check the news list. But one of the things that was great and quite creative in how people managed this in our study was that they would link it in with other routines in their day that had a beginning and an end. So it set a kind of time on it. So for one example, there was a woman who... Um, would only kind of check the news by scrolling while she was waiting for a cup of tea to brew in the morning. And that, you know, set a kind of time limit on how long she could be scrolling on the news um, for. Another thing related to that was um, that's worth thinking about is the time of day that you check as well. This was something that people spoke about. So some people checked early in the day, but for other people actually not checking until later in the day became really important so that they could kind of get their day off to the right start and not start out in that distracted or distressed kind of state. Another good tip is to think about maybe if you're in a context where you feel like your news consumption is becoming a problem or there's things happening in the news cycle that are becoming, you know, distressing or really distracting, actually avoiding having news pushed to you. So by this, I mean things like turning off the push notifications on your news app on your phone, or maybe even unfollowing news on social media so that instead of having news kind of pushed to you, you can choose when you want to engage with it and you can go in and seek it out. And people talked about that being really helpful for them. Another good tip is, um, what I describe as like adding friction to the process of checking the news. So making it just a little bit harder for you to go and do that compulsive checking. My favorite example of this from our um, study was a woman who took all of the news and social media apps on her phone and she put them all into one folder and she hid that folder on the last screen of her home screen of her phone. So she had to swipe, you know, several times to get to it. And she titled it unproductive. And so if she was going to go and check um, news or social media, she she had to swipe firstly, and then she had to face the title of the folder and she had to pause and think basically was the point, right? That it gives you this little moment of reflection. And she was evangelical about how well this had, had worked for her. People did other things, um, you know, like deleting apps off your phone. So you have to go to your computer to check the news or deleting browser, you know, bookmarks in your browser, that kind of thing. But so just thinking about what are those kind of habitual ways that you do it and are there ways that you could make it a little bit harder for yourself so that you have to pause. And then the last, um, I guess, tip or, or, or strategy that came out of the research was the importance of talking with the other people in your household 
this came up as a real issue for people that they, because people have different responses to the news, right? Some people found engaging with a lot of news during COVID really comforting throughout the whole, you know, the whole process of, of the lockdowns for the people in our study, they didn't feel that way. And so they, a lot of people talked about situations arising where they were trying to limit and reduce their news consumption, but someone else in their household was watching a lot of news or talking about the news a lot. And so often this um, created a little bit of tension that needed to be resolved through having a conversation about, you know, differing preferences. And so I guess that's, that's the kind of last strategy or tip that I'd suggest is if you, if you're going to try and reduce your news consumption, you know, overall or around a specific topic or during a certain time while there's really negative events in the news, just let the other people in your household know so that they know not to, um, I don't know, be giving you the latest (laughs) updates on the stock market or, or whatever it is so that they can support you, um, in that. And when people had conversations about it, generally that, that kind of went really well and resolved it. But if you can get it, if you can get a jump on it and talk about it before it becomes a problem, I think that's probably, probably worth doing. That's really fascinating because I, I think uh, until you just said it before, like some people found comfort and it was probably during that time of um, not being able to really feel like we we're out of control with a lot of things in life, being able to, I don't know, control or, or see the, the information coming in probably gave people some sense of, of peace and calm, whereas other people, and I don't know, I got to a point where I was getting messages from my mum who was in Canberra at the time when we were locked down in Melbourne, updating me on COVID numbers and things. And I'm just like, I don't need I don't need text messages about this stuff. I know I know what's happening. So yeah, I guess that that's really interesting. That w- would that have been one of the most fascinating things that came out of the research that, that you and James did? Yeah, the households dynamics things were certainly kind of un- we weren't looking for it. It was quite an unexpected thing that that came out of it. And I think to to your point, it really highlights the fact that this is quite individual, right? People reach that threshold of it becoming unhelpful at at differing points, and so. Yeah, it might. I'm certainly not saying you know don't don't check the news or don't stay informed even when there's bad news. It's really important, but I guess it's more a case of like just being mindful within yourself of when when it becomes a problem for you because there's not going to be a you know I don't think that there's a cutoff point for for everyone that's that's shared. But it is obviously this very individual thing, and so it's just a case of yeah, I guess being a, being aware and kind of reflecting on it. Yeah, just that mindfulness and probably even where you're getting your news consumption from, like, as I say, until I'd read that book, Stolen Focus, I hadn't really understood. I knew that there'd always been this sort of, uh, I don't know, unknown, unknown for me of you get repeated things thrown at you in social media. So if you're on Twitter, they'll start sending you sort of things that you'll normally like or that will capture your attention more. But yeah, I think it's fascinating just to be mindful of well, where are you getting your media from and what else do you need to be sort of thinking about when you when you are consuming things? Because I don't know often headlines these days, and again, I've got a number of clients who work in, in news media, so uh, total respect for, for journalism and journalists and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes you'll see a headline and I don't know if you do the same thing, Kate, but I'll, I'll start screaming at my phone, oh, this is ridiculous. And then you read the article and it's actually quite much more balanced than the, the headline would suggest. And so it sort of pulls us in with that marketing hook, I think, at the end of the day. So uh, I love that sort of just very individual, but being mindful and, and aware of, uh, of where things uh, land at the end of the day. I'll put some of your, your contact details and, and the research that James and yourself did as well around the, the doom scrolling uh, on the show notes, but 
Anything else or any other resources that you'd uh, suggest people look at? In terms of public-facing stuff, I think we found that actually the the kind of health departments of the government were putting out really good advice around news consumption. That's obviously specific to COVID. It's a little bit less general, but I think looking at those kinds of places actually can, um, yeah, they, they did put out some really some really good advice around ways to evaluate information and think about how it might be impacting your well-being as well. So I'll go and I'll go and dig some of them out and you can add them to the show notes. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. And look, Kate, we do keep these episodes uh, very short and sweet, so have appreciated your your time today. Any other sort of parting comments? I mean, I know technology and and even news and and digital uh, our, our lives are now totally digital and I, I do often loving the work that you're doing in the the space around uh, around kids and and digital spaces because I look at my niece and nephew and I just think wow their world is going to be so different and even my my partner's got uh, his nieces are 21 and 18 and so they've sort of had this online experience um, that we, we probably all haven't had to have so yeah it's fascinating that it can become a really wealth full of uh, of, of space but also can also become that, that challenging space at the end of the day so yeah, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that the research is pointing pointing to around around kids is making it a point of conversation and having a talk about it and maybe if it's age appropriate coming to coming to agreements together actually works a lot better it suggests than just banning stuff outright because if you ban stuff outright like the kids will find a way, right? <laughs> They'll find a way around it. So yeah. there's a lot of anxiety and fear and and I can totally understand that, but but a lot of the evidence is suggesting that rather than kind of, you know, keeping kids off technology, which for the first, yeah, on the one hand, you can't you can't really do anyway because they'll find a way on it. But also there's a lot of great stuff online as well. There's social support, you know, a lot of their, that's where their friends are. That's where a lot of their interests are. So having conversations together about, you know, what's healthy use, what's appropriate use, what are the kind of team rules that we're going to make and all stick to together is probably the best approach. The final thing that I'll say is that we've talked a lot about you know, us needing to be responsible as individuals. But as you've referenced, and I'll just highlight, there is an issue around technology design here too and the way that platforms are designed. And we haven't talked about it as much, but um, I'm I'm anxious to make sure that people don't feel like it's all on their responsibility to get it right. We also need to be pushing for the for the design of these technologies to be to be better and to have our best interests at heart too. So it's not all just on us to figure it out. What do you see the, the solution there? Is it about government intervention? Because I know, again, as I say that stolen focus, the book was talking around, okay, we need, we need legislators to, to step in and, and I guess pr- protect us, so to speak, from ourselves probably. But yeah, have you got ideas around what, a, what, what the solution is if it's a partnership approach? What, what does that look like? Oh, that's such a good question. And it's a whole, it's a whole podcast in itself. But I think, yeah, in in short and in a nutshell, there's a lot that could be done in, in regulation, essentially. Um, you know, these the tech industry has done very, very well uh, in making a case that it doesn't need to be regulated. And I think that increasingly it's, it's very clear that its approach of self-regulating hasn't really worked, right? We, we see all kinds of problems, especially with those really big platforms, Facebook, Facebook. Um, yeah, I think their their claims to being able to self-regulate are, are becoming increasingly it's becoming increasingly obvious that that's not that, that approach hasn't worked and there's a lot that we can do in terms of regulation. The privacy laws in Australia are actually under review at the moment and so that's that's going to be a particularly interesting um, 
space to watch and I'm hopeful that we can do some good stuff there. So, yeah, it's a tricky one though. It's a really tricky one. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And look, I think as you've highlighted today, I think it's about your, your own engagement and involvement with it. And so if you find that, that these things are, are tripping you up or that you aren't sleeping or you're, you're losing focus because of certain things, that's where you can sort of step into that. And I mean, look, personally, I, th- I think taking on board some of those those tips that you said before, I've, I've actually deleted a few of the social media platforms off my phone because I found myself just going into these scrolls of, of looking at stuff. And I'm like, well, what am I doing? Where am I? <laughs> I, I didn't mean to be here. <laughs> um, so I think some of those tips are, are really great around just empowering yourself and, and turning off push notifications and, and setting the time to, to check in on the news, uh, as you say, break the uh, or, or create friction to, to break some of the habits at the end of the day, because it does become a very habitual thing. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, a fabulous chat. And uh, yes, we will have to get you back on board for the, the podcast episode uh, on uh, regulation in the digital space. We'll, we'll tie it into money somehow. But um, look, I appreciated your time so much. And I'll add your details in the show notes thanks for coming along thanks so much Scott it's been lovely to chat thanks folks hope you've enjoyed today's episode and please either share it with uh, your friends or rate us uh, where you are listening to your podcast and we'll uh, see you all next time